0: Praise God, praise God that we get to praise God, and now praise God that we get to open up the Word. I've had a treat this weekend because I got to be with the guys up in the mountains, and now I get to be with you, and I am privileged. Uh, I've got kind of an odd question for you this morning, though. Um, Has anybody here used a spaghetti colander recently? Anyone? I'm an Italian. I mean, pasta is near and dear to my heart, so this is a good question for me to ask, a colander separates pasta and water, right? You boil the pasta, and then you dump it in so the water goes away. Uh, it's a filter of sorts, kind of like a filter, all right? Now, there are many things that contain filters. You got uh, air filters, oil filters, water filters, and so on and so forth. They're designed to separate things, to, to keep the bad things out and to, to let the good things pass through unhindered. Now, with that in mind, for example, take a a window screen. A good thing to have on your windows right now, if you have your windows open, because a window screen lets the air come through, but keeps out, what, leaves and birds and bees and flies and bugs and all sorts of other things you don't want in your house. Uh, What about a water filter? You know, your little pitcher with the water filter in it. um, That filters out the harmful elements in the water so that the water can pass through, and what comes out is Clear, pure, clean, refreshing water for us to drink. Now, why do I mention these things? It's because of this. Your worldview, the way you view God, the world, and how you fit in it is a filter. It's a grid. It's a a screen by which everything passes, through which everything passes. It's the screen through which truth or error flows in our life. It's the filter that we use to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong. It shapes how we think and act every moment of the day. Now, why is our worldview important? Because it affects how we think and how we act. It drives every choice we make. For several decades now, both adults and youth and children have been abandoning a biblical worldview for a secular humanist worldview. George Barna found that only 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview. A view of the world that is uh, inspired and driven by God's word. What's even more sad is that he found that only 9% of born-again Christians have a biblical worldview. We desperately need a biblical worldview Christ-centered way of viewing the world. And Hebrews 11 is a great starting point. In fact, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to read the first three verses again. So please stand with me as we read. These words we're going to read are essential for the shaping of a biblical worldview. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. This is the word of God. And Lord, we pray that you would bless your word today as we contemplate it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Please be seated. Uh, A worldview, a grid, a filter, a screen through which everything passes. A worldview is a person's set of assumptions about the basic makeup and nature of the world and the universe. It's the basis on which we view God ourselves and the world and everyone has one there are uh, it's a huge smorgasbord of worldviews out there you go to any bookstore go to Barnes and Noble and you look on the shelves and you will find a veritable smorgasbord of worldviews from which you can choose everyone's got one and whether we realize it or not we all have presuppositions and biases that affect the way we view all of life and all of reality See, a worldview is kind of like a a set of lenses through which we see the world and by which it alters even the way we perceive reality. Our worldview is formed in many places, uh, by our education, by our upbringing, by the culture in which we live in, the books we read, the media and the movies we absorb, and so on. Many people, their worldview comes from what they've absorbed from their surrounding culture. They just kind of get it by osmosis and one day they, if they really look at it, they realize, wow, this is what I really believe about myself, about God, and about the world. There are some people who just let it happen and they find they get this worldview and they haven't thought deeply about it, about what they believe, and they might we wouldn't even be able to give an answer, an intelligent answer for their faith. Our worldview translates what we see, hear, and experience into our understanding of things, how we understand origins, the basic foundations of the world. What should shape our worldview? That answer is easy. The Word of God. What should drive or influence it? That's easy. It's it's the Word of God. It starts right here in Hebrews 11.3. See, in our journey through the book of Hebrews, we have landed on the doorstep of Hebrews 11, one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, Heroes of the Faith, Westminster Abbey of Scripture, Hall of Fame, Honor Roll of Old Testament Saints, and so on. And the author of Hebrews doesn't merely give a long list of people who lived with a God-centered biblical worldview, who lived by faith. He gives them in successive order. He gives them in historical order. By by so doing, he provides for us a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture, a beautiful outline of God's purposes throughout history, throughout the ages. And it culminates in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, where we read these words. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of the writer of Hebrews' ideas here on faith. That Jesus' faith's pioneer and perfecter ought to be our focus. But before he launches in to this celebration of the faith of the Old Testament believers, he illustrates it first and he illustrates it in it's really another way of saying that faith is the conviction or proof or evidence of things not seen and he uses us as an example he uses himself his readers and us as an example see verse 11 uh, excuse me chapter 11 and verse 3 says by faith we understand by faith we understand that the world was prepared by the word of god now last week we saw a working description of faith That it is being absolutely sure of what we hope for. That it's the foundation of our hope. That it's the believer's ticket to gaining the realization of their hope. That's an active combination of what we just sang about a moment ago, trust and obedience. Faith is being convinced of what we do not see. It's proof of unseen things. Faith is taking God at his word and adjusting our lives accordingly. Now that's what we saw last week. That it's not a blind leap. That it is a focused journey, seeing unseen realities, seeing the spiritual realities of life. And a living, vibrant faith in God is necessary. We must have it for anything of eternal significance to happen in and through our lives. Faith drives the Christian life. And verse 3 says, by faith we understand. See, what we see is that faith affects our understanding of the world, quite simply that faith can look backwards as well as forwards. Faith not only makes the future promises present, faith not only reveals the unseen things, but faith also informs and enlightens our view of the origin of the universe. The author is stressing the conviction that he and his readers shared about creation. About creation itself. By faith we understand. See, genuine faith leads to genuine knowledge. We understand that the world was prepared. It was literally framed by the word of God. Made ready, made complete. Hebrews 1, 2 told us that God made the universe by the agency of his son Jesus. Here, He is said to have fashioned the world by his word. God made the world and us. Simple enough, but not a universally accepted truth. God made the world and us. The writer of Hebrews is referring to Genesis chapter 1. The first book of the Bible. That the believer, the person of faith, believes the creation account in Genesis. That God brought the universe into existence. That God spoke and it was done. And the phrase, by the way, the worlds literally means the ages. Which means the entire universe of space and time. Not just the the globe on which we live, but the entire created universe. The universe is immense in its size and its glory. My, My brain cannot comprehend But I have read some things in books, just like you have. Your brain may comprehend a little bit better than me. But for example, the the nearest star in our Galilee, Alpha Centauri, 25 million miles away. The fact that our sun, which fills the sky and lights our days, was put in place by God. That if it were just a bit closer, we'd burn up. If it were just a bit farther, we'd freeze. It goes beyond my comprehension. The universe ought to cause us to praise God. We've we've been praising God. Uh, Charlie, thank you for leading us so well each week in praising God. We're praising God and, and the universe we see around us, the wind we see blowing today, ought to cause us to praise our creator God. The author of Hebrews viewed God as the one responsible not only for the creating of the world but also its care and its sustaining through the ages. That the world, that the universe was framed, it was equipped, it was perfected by by God's creative working. You see God's creative command in Genesis 1-3, let there be light. And there was light. We understand by faith that God made the world so that what appears was not made out of that which is visible. The visible universe was not made out of equally visible raw materials. They weren't just sitting in a pile there like you would make a house and you've got your pile of lumber and, and cement and you go to work. God created the universe not out of equally visible materials raw material God created without previously existing materials it was all called into being by divine power now how do we know that we weren't there no one was there but God so how do we know we know it by faith by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God there's a reason The writer of Hebrews put this first in his list. One, because God spoke through him. All scripture is God-breathed. But also it sets the tone. It It sets things in motion in our minds. Yes, we understand. But not everyone understands. Not everyone believes. The visible came from the invisible. Again, something our minds cannot comprehend. It's not snowing right now in the room. It's just the dust from the wind that just came in. I'm seeing it filter down in front of my face here. How do we know it? We know it by faith. We know it by faith. The faith by which the writer accepts is faith in divine revelation. God's revelation of himself. Scripture is God's revelation revelation it is not man's creation now the first book of the bible is in his mind he is about to use eight examples from the book of genesis so it goes it stands to reason that in verse three he would speak of creation as listed in genesis but faith is absolutely necessary if we want to understand even the first page of god's book even the first page knowing what god was present there Mankind is confronted with a universe already existing when he comes on the scene. So, this explanation must be accepted by faith because there were no human spectators. Faith is the first ingredient of a biblical worldview. First ingredient Johann Kepler. Do you know the name? He lived from 1571 to 1630. He is known as the father of modern astronomy and modern optics. His brain power far exceeded uh, most people's. The guy uh, figured out the laws of planetary motion. He used the telescope uh, developed by Galileo. He also discovered um, a few other things, but he was the first scientist who said of his astronomical research that he was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. That he viewed himself as only thinking God's thoughts after God. Kepler wrote this, he said, Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it befits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else, of the glory of God. Kepler's name lives on in history. His name has been immortalized by his three laws of planetary motion. Um, A prominent crater on the moon has been named in his honor. His native Germany paid him homage by uh, erecting statues in two different cities. But here's what he said. Any fame he achieved he said, was simply a byproduct of his efforts to glorify God's name. He said, let also my name perish if only the name of God the Father is thereby elevated. Let my name perish. Shouldn't that be our prayers? Let my name perish if only the name of God would be elevated. Hey, I want to go over a couple things on the basics of a biblical worldview. A little bit of some nuts and bolts. Um, Faith is the first ingredient. And I'll list a few things, and this is by no means exhaustive. But first, faith that God is our creator and sustainer. In Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms, we read the beginning it says shout joyfully to the lord all the earth serve the lord with gladness but next to psalm 23 it was the first scripture that i memorized shout joyfully to the lord all the earth serve the lord with gladness come before him with joyful singing and look at verse three know that the lord himself is god it is he who has made us and not we ourselves we are his people and the sheep of his pasture God is our creator. He is our sustainer. When Paul stood on in Athens on Mars Hill, and gave this wonderful sermon, he gave a biblical worldview. In, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, he had been walking through the, the various monuments to gods in that City. And he found a monument that said to an unknown God. And so he said to them, I know you're very religious and I know you worship. And I was passing by and I saw the inscription to an unknown God. So what you worship in ignorance, I will proclaim to you. And here's what he said. He said, the God who made the world and all things in it. You see his starting point? The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He went on to talk about how we ought to seek God. And he went on to speak of Jesus. Jesus, the pinnacle of our focus and what it ought to be. But God created the universe out of nothing. It's totally subject to him and dependent upon him. We believe that he exists, that God exists, that he is the standard by which we must measure everything, that he did create everything that exists, and that everything is held together by him. In Colossians 1.17, he holds all things together by the word of his power. One word from God, and it's dust. One word from God. God created the universe out of nothing. It's totally subject to him and dependent upon him. And the universe, including all its phenomena, is not eternal, it's not infinite. Its existence, again, is totally dependent and contingent upon God. He is holding it all together, both uh, from its beginning point, but also for its continuance. He made us, he keeps us alive for his purpose, for his glory. He keeps us alive. Nothing will thwart his rule. God is also in control. He is in control, not man. God is sovereign. He rules over all. He is the king over all. And all will turn out as he intends. Isn't that comforting? All will turn out as God intends. Nothing can thwart his will. Throughout history, mankind has denied that truth. Throughout history, mankind has denied that the world had an instantaneous creation out of nothing. Throughout history, mankind has embraced ideas and ideals that are in opposition to God's supernatural work. But God is our creator and our sustainer. He is in control, He is all knowing, all present, all powerful. There is nothing He does not know or see, He can do anything He wants. You might want to read Psalm 139, a beautiful picture of God ruling, all-knowing, all-powerful. I just want to mention one other thing, and it's going to have a lot of things attached to it, obviously, but it's it's the fact that we believe that God's word is true. When we say that, though, everything in it then we say is true. In John 17 17, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. We believe that the Bible is God's divinely inspired word revealed to mankind. And the scriptures show us God's perfection as well as mankind's fallen sinful condition. That we believe that mankind chose to rebel against God in the Garden of Eden. And because of that act of rebellion, sin and death entered the world. In the book, in God's book, we see God's wonderful work of redemption in Christ. From Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Revelation. The saving and sanctifying work of grace in the soul. Again and again and again illustrated in Scripture. Salvation by grace alone and not by works or any merit of our own. Salvation being a gift from God that cannot be earned. And the Bible, which we believe to be completely true, also shows the mission of the church in conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. It also shows us the greatness of our hope, the greatness of our everlasting hope in Christ. Now with a biblical worldview, we also see history in a different way. We see history for what it is. A linear sequence of events reaching a God-ordained goal. A linear sequence of events that is reaching a God-purposed goal. Things are moving on as God intends. Just as he had planned it. No event is exactly the same. You say, well, you know what, Uh, I did this, the same thing yesterday... That's the same thing that happened the other day. No, it's not. It's similar, but it's not the same. No event is just the same. History is not reversible or alterable. Remember those movies, uh, Back to the Future? Go back and change things. And there's TV shows about that too, where someone goes back and is able to help someone, and, and then it alters the course. It can't happen. Yesterday is gone. It's history. See, history is teleological. It is proceeding on to an end, and that end is predetermined by God. God knows it. God planned it, and it is sovereignly worked out by him. So history will result in God's praise and glory. We can be assured of that. In short, a biblical worldview holds by faith to what Scripture says about God, the world, and us. It takes everything and says, I believe it. Now, there are benefits to living like this. There are blessings to, by, to, to come from, from holding to this. Uh, a biblical worldview, I'm going to share two things about what it does. One, it reflects reality and rejects untruth. A biblical worldview reflects reality and rejects untruth. And it's kind of a matter of alignment and realignment all through life. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he says, you know, uh, I, I bought the lifetime alignment thing on, for my car. It was 69 bucks, you know, like 10 years ago or something. And he was taking his car in to get it aligned. He goes, it works, you know. They, they, it goes out of alignment. We hit the curb, and it goes out of alignment. I take it in, and they fix it. But with your car, you've got to always keep aligning it, or else your tires will wear unevenly, and you'll have to be buying those a lot. But, you know, the idea of our biblical worldview reflecting reality and rejecting untruth really is an idea of alignment and realignment on an on ongoing basis. It's a focus idea. Uh, in 1987, my parents gave me a, a camera. I still own that camera. It's a, a, it was a Minolta Maxim 7000. It was the, it, I, as far as I can remember, it was the first autofocus SLR. It was, it was an awesome camera. It weighed a couple pounds, but it was an awesome camera. They gave it to me right before I was going overseas to um, Irian Jaya, Indonesia, on a missions trip. And so I had this beautiful camera. I got to take these awesome pictures. Well, there was something about that camera that, at, to that point in my life, I had not uh, experienced. Now, I want to tell you something about myself. I may not have told you. I collect old cameras. I got this collection of old cameras and old books, old Christian books, hymnals and the like. And uh, I had all these old, you know, the accordion type of cameras that come out and stuff. So having this camera was like, wow, you know, it was a state of the art. It's 20 years old now. Uh, But here was what you could do. You point your camera at an object, press the button down, and it locked onto the object. auto focused right onto it. And then what I could do is I could move anywhere in the picture and still be locked onto that original object, but then in that frame have freedom within the frame to kind of alter the, the way I took the picture. Now, all of our cameras have that now, pretty much. Uh, but I think it, it shows something, too, about our spiritual life. This idea of focusing on Jesus. If we get locked in on Jesus, then within the frame we have freedom to, to see the bigger picture, it, what it does is it gives us perspective. It puts other things in perspective when the main thing is in focus. you remember that movie National Treasure? Anybody remember that movie? They were looking for this, you know, treasure, and at one point they're like at Independence Hall or something in Philadelphia, and they 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 peel back these this one brick and they open it up, and inside the brick there are these these eyeglasses that. Uh, Benjamin Franklin had made. And there were, there were three different lens combinations. There was like blue and yellow and red or something. And the first two they put down and they were able to read this the, the treasure map, but it was the wrong message. They had to get the other one locked in, the third one. When those three came into alignment, they were able to read the real message and were led to the treasure. Uh, I think that's a lot uh, about how it is with us understanding God. We've got to have things in alignment so that we can understand true reality. See, if our belief is that God is sovereign, then our belief system will reflect reality. The 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 lenses will align. Hebrews 11:3 clearly shows that faith that is real is grounded in a basic conviction about the nature of reality. If I go to Ephesians 4, and Ephesians 4 It's talking about, you'll you'll like this because today it's so windy. But in Ephesians 4, it talks about getting tossed around. I was on the freeway this morning coming over here, and I felt my car was getting bounced around. My little car, it was just moving all over. I had to keep my hand on the steering wheel. Ephesians 4, verse 14. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Well, this new thing and that new thing and this new recipe for a happy life and that list of things you need to do. We won't be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into all, in all aspects into him who is the head Even Christ. See, there's a problem that's rampant that affects professing believers' worldview. It's this. Biblical ignorance. Not knowing what the Word says. Not knowing the book. Uh... Could it be that we don't have a biblical worldview because we don't know what the Bible says? Uh huh. Many times, because we're ignorant in what the Bible actually says. We've read about it in other other people's books, but how about just reading it from cover to cover again and again and again? Because this is the very Word of God. There, uh, Barna did some research uh, about professing believers' knowledge of Scripture. He found out that uh, something like 8% of the people, 12% of the people that uh, were surveyed believed that Joan of Arc was, was Noah's wife. Many of the people di- couldn't distinguish between Old Testament and New Testament books. Now, just a knowledge of the Word doesn't, doesn't get you uh, a great biblical worldview, okay? There's other things combined. Just believing certain things can't be the sole measure of having a biblical worldview. Because if that was the case, those who don't have a biblical worldview would slide in the door. Just because they know things about the Bible. I kind of see it as a combination of a few things. Belief, our doctrine, our belief system, the doctrine to which we hold. And it shouldn't divide, it should unite truth from the word. And then a mindset or our heart attitude. That if we have a mindset on, on, on the spirit, that's life. Mindset on the flesh is death, as Romans 8 tells us. See, a worldview is only as good as it centers us on Jesus. And our hope in him. I think about Paul. Here you've got Paul. Starting out with a biblical worldview, but he was tweaked when it came to Jesus. He did not understand. His mind was blinded. So what did God do? Well, he physically blinded him for a time. And then opened his eyes spiritually. And then restored his sight as well, physically. But see, God had to realign his worldview because his worldview worked up to a certain point, And then it fell apart. Because it wasn't focused upon Jesus. A worldview is only as good as it centers us on Jesus and our hope in him. There are plenty of people who say they believe certain things but live in complete opposition to those things. We know. We know people like that. But Jesus made it clear that if we belong to him, if we really believe his truth, then our lives will change. Our lives will reflect the truth we say we believe. And I know that's a common theme in my preaching because it's a common issue in my own life. I deal with that every day. You deal with that every day. Here's what I believe and here's how I'm living. Whoops. And so you got to get the, the, the thing, they got to come into alignment, into focus, I want to say something else about our, the, our worldview, another benefit. Uh, it, finally, I want to say this. A biblical worldview protects our heart and our mind and our soul. How so? Just as filters keep certain things out and let certain things pass through, like a water filter removes the, the junk and purifies what passes through so you can drink clean water, a biblical worldview protects us spiritually. Look at Philippians 4. Philippians 4, starting at verse 4. See, our our worldview is going to be revealed in good times and bad. Uh, Who we praise and who we blame. When things don't work out, uh, our worldview is tested by our success and our failures. See, Philippians 4, verse 4 says... Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8 gives us the focus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Focus on these things. Biblical worldview protects us. And our worldview is revealed in good times and bad. Who we praise, who we blame. Our worldview is tested by our success. It's easy when we're successful to shift The praise unto ourselves. I must have done everything right. Think about Job for a minute. He did everything right. And everything went wrong. Because God is sovereign and he is good. And when everything fell crashing down in his life, what did he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I'm going to leave this earth. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of God. In uh, in Job 23.10 he said, When God has tried me, I will come forth as gold. As gold. During adversity, our worldview is is exposed. Uh, It's easy to be angry or upset or blame ourselves or God when things just don't work out the way we've hoped. When the test comes back positive. When we don't win. When we lose the promotion. When things just don't go. When the counseling didn't work. When all the effort we put in just didn't work. When the situation just doesn't work out. That's when our worldview, that's when our worldview is revealed, exposed, seen for what it really is. See, by faith we perceive. By faith we perceive. We perceive the truth. We understand the truth with our minds that God has given us. By faith, we have a biblical worldview. By faith, we can have a biblical worldview. By faith, we can have our worldview aligned with God's word as God gives us wisdom and knowledge and discernment. Remember Hebrews 5.14? Solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil, what to let pass in, what to keep out. Our worldview is that grid, that framework, that filter or screen through which everything passes. I want to close by this one thought. It's a thought I've been having for a couple months now. Because when you think about this, you've got, you got to say, what's left for us to do? Trust God. Obey Him. But I was thinking about this. Right now, in retirement homes all across our country, there are people with Alzheimer's disease who cannot remember what they did yesterday. We've probably all been affected in our families in some way. But here's the interesting thing. In those places, when there are worship services going on, and I know because I've been at many, many of them, I've had the privilege of doing that. When they when when they are led in singing of hymns, when they are led in when they hear the reading of Scripture, they sing along. They mouth the words of Scripture because they remember the past. But here's the scary thought for me. See, the majority of them sing praises to God and recite scripture because that's what they were brought up on. That's what they've known. Fast forward 25, 30 years. Fast forward 25 years and think about the retirement homes in America. What will be coming out of the mouths of those who live there? Let's pray. Lord God, we, we desire to lift up Jesus Christ and stand for truth. Uh, we desire, Lord, for you to rearrange our worldviews. Where they're tweaked, Lord, please fix our thinking. Lead us in the right way. Give us understanding to perceive, give us wisdom and knowledge and discernment. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you will answer that prayer. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.